Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. All right, the great one is off tonight, but I'll tell you what, the president had an absolutely great day today. Hi, it's Rich Zioli with you tonight. New number. This is important. Just for tonight only. 866-505-4626 here on the Mark Levin Show. 866-505-4626. It's a lot to discuss today. The president, home run. Home run from the White House. And I'll tell you what, this was, this was big because he enlisted the private sector with him. If you saw the press conference today, what, what a show. He had the uh, CEOs from Walmart and Walgreens, CVS, Target, and, and a number of other companies standing there with him in the Rose Garden. Talking about, hey, we're competitors normally, but today we're coming together. As a nation, we're coming together to fight the coronavirus. And the president declared a state of emergency today, national declaration. But more importantly than anything is the fact that these burdensome, cumbersome policies that keep the tests from coming to market, the coronavirus tests, those crucial tests, they're gone. They're gone. The president is getting rid of those burdensome regulations once and for all. Because you know what? And here's the thing. This isn't over. This may be over. COVID-19, the Wuhan coronavirus, this may be over for now, but, but you know as well as I do that this isn't over. We've got some bad actors out there in the world, you know? I know that Mark spent a lot of time last night on the show because I, as a fellow Levinite, listen. I know Mark spent a lot of time last night discussing China and talking about what a bad actor China is and their efforts to undermine the United States of America and their efforts to blame us for the coronavirus. And their efforts to get the world to stop saying Wuhan coronavirus or Chinese coronavirus. And you know what's funny is that so many Democrats today, they're, they're more interested today in bringing up the nomenclature of the virus, how you say it, and then calling you racist or xenophobic versus actually putting the blame at the doorstep of China. And this is very important. You may be uh, self-distancing this weekend, as the term goes. This is the the new term for our our day and age, right? Self-distancing. You may be self-distancing this weekend. Maybe you're just going to hang out with the family. And my wife is pregnant, so she's doing a couple weeks. So we're just going to hang out at the house with the kids. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. So we're just going to hang out this weekend, play games, you know, do fun stuff. I got a big box. All this money you spend on toys. Kids love big boxes. I got a giant box. Turn into a fort for the kids. They'll love it. But, you know, if you want to... Binge watch a show, for example, this weekend, catch up on something. There's a great show that HBO did called Chernobyl. It's all about the Chernobyl meltdown in the Soviet Union with the nuclear reactor and how the Soviet Union covered it up. The communist regime of the Soviet Union did not want the world to see what a mistake had happened on their watch. And because they don't have freedom and there's no liberty there and they weren't able to, the people were not able to talk about it and there was no press to cover it, a lot of lives were lost. And what happened in Wuhan, China is no different. And the reason why it's so critical for us to call it the Wuhan coronavirus is the world needs to know what happened here. The world needs to bear witness to what China did by trying to cover this up. 
we have to know because history is written by the winners, as they say, and the history books need to show that that this communist regime, so hell bent on suppressing the people and taking away freedom, and well, not taking away, they, they don't offer freedom to anybody, refused to tell the world the truth about what was going on in their country until it was too late. And these two very brave journalists, a couple uh, couple uh, weeks ago, actually back in February. Vivian Wang in the New York Times wrote this. They documented the coronavirus crisis in Wuhan, then they vanished, the video bloggers. They showed the fear, the grief, the dissatisfaction with the government, and then they disappeared. And that's what happens in China, right? That's what happens. Now, contrast that with the United States of America, where the president today, very transparent in the Rose Garden, with the CEOs next to him, private sector, enlisting the private sector in this fight, literally uniting the country and using the words fight. We're going to fight this thing. We're going to unite as a country rally the public and private sector together, and then we're going to fight this virus head on. And being transparent with everybody about what's happening. Yeah, we, we, we need more tests, and we got to make sure we have tests, and here's what we're going to do to get those tests. We're going to get rid of these regulations. We're going to partner with, with this company and that company. We're going to turn Walmart parking lots into drive through testing centers. What a difference, right? What a contrast between a free country, like the United States of America, and China, an oppressive communist regime. But you know... There are a lot of candidates running for president and ran for president and will run for president again who uh, embrace these socialist ideas. And so today they're they're more angry that someone like me is calling it the Wuhan coronavirus or the Chinese coronavirus. They're more angry at that than what China did and the cover up that China did. They're more angry at that. And a big reason is because if uh, if everybody's angry at, at China, then you expose the problems, the failures of socialism and communism. And so many of these candidates believe this stuff, whether it's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or it's Bernie Sanders or there's Joe Biden saying the president's approach is xenophobic by closing the border from Italy, not letting anyone come here from Italy. So, you know, for them, it's, it's about making sure that the socialist communist regime of China and all their horrible ideas that happen in these socialist communist countries, that that's protected. And so they'll make it about you and what you say. And you being uh, uh, racist for for actually talking about the origin of the virus. Now, if you talk about Lyme disease, which was named after Lyme, Connecticut, L-Y-M-E, not L-I-M-E, like the fruit, or the citrus, whatever Lyme is. But actually the town of Lyme, Connecticut, if you talk about it, if you go, I, I have Lyme disease, nobody goes, what, you racist? Why would you why would you bring Connecticut into it? But now it's it's that way with China. Now, if Ebola was named for a place. You know, dengue fever, named for a place. We name things for places where viruses start so we can study them. The Spanish flu ring a bell? Spanish? But now they've decided it's racist. And a big part of that is, of course, covering up for China. We did not do anything wrong here. The systemic failures of the lack of testing go to the fact that our government, because it's so big, is not very good at solving problems, never has been. That's why it's so smart that President Trump today said, I'm bringing in the private sector. You know what? I'm going to bring in the private sector to help me do this. We're going to bring in the CEOs of these amazing companies who know how to make money and know how to get it done, and they're going to help us fight this. We're going to enlist Google, and we're going to get it done. And I'm going to bring in the best medical minds in the country, and we're going to get it done. Because Trump knows from having spent his entire life in the private sector that government is inefficient. It doesn't do anything very well. Outside of the military, it really doesn't do much. It doesn't do much effectively, I should say. It does a whole lot. Spying on us, for example. But it doesn't do a whole lot in terms of solving problems very well. 
And this goes back to uh, to January when they realized that this something was happening out in Seattle with this new virus and they were trying to do testing on it. But the FDA and the CDC kept going back and forth and saying no. And these are bureaucrats who were saying no, not the White House, not the president. He probably didn't even know about it. In fact, I'm sure he didn't know about it. Just low level bureaucrats in the FDA and the CDC saying, oh, we can't do that test, can't do this test. Well, it doesn't meet our guidelines. Your laboratories don't meet our guidelines. And so today the president said enough with these regulations, these burdensome roadblocks. We're going to get it done. Enough, enough. We got it. We got to figure this out and we got to move quickly. And we know the next time's coming and we got to be ready. Quote, we are announcing a new partnership with the private sector to vastly increase and accelerate our capacity to test for the coronavirus. We want people to take a test quickly if they need, but we don't want people to take the test if we feel they shouldn't be doing it. As the president today in the Rose Garden. He's going to, um, by doing the national emergency declaration, he will be uh, using the, the Robert T. Stafford Disaster Relief and Emergency Assistance Act, which allows the White House to mobilize the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, to direct federal aid to states hit by disasters and health crises. And this is a, this is a key point. By surrounding himself with these highly successful individuals, Target, Walgreens, Quest Diagnostics, CVS Health. Trump said that with federal emergency authorities, the FDA approved a new test of the virus, which would provide half a million additional tests that will be available early next week. Our overriding goal is going to stop the spread and help Americans impacted by this. Again, we don't want everyone to take the test. This will pass. It's going to pass through and we'll all be stronger for it. Exactly right. Exactly right. This was a big deal today, and the stock market was thrilled. That's why huge gains at the end of the day. The president timed this perfectly right before the market closed, and then the shot up 2,000 points at the end of trading. It was great. That, that was a big sign of confidence, big vote of confidence right there. And I think the reason why was because the market said, yay, the private sector is getting involved now. That's huge because government doesn't do things very well. Government is not good at solving problems. It never has been. We know that. As conservatives, we know that, right? Conservatives, libertarians, we say this all the time. Government stinks at solving problems. But yeah, whenever there's a pandemic, there's an outbreak, there's a national emergency, we always look to government because they have because they're, they're in charge, they're in power. And most of the time, what people on the left do is they just, they just expand government power in these moments. They use this as an opportunity to grow government. Whether it's a natural, natural disaster or something else, their recipe is always, hey, how do we get more government? How do we involve more agencies? And today the president did the opposite. He said, how do we involve more companies? How do we involve more CEOs? How do we involve more private sector successful people to help solve this problem, to help fight this head on? And I, for one, love that. And I know that uh, if Mark Levin were here right now, he'd be saying the exact same thing. Because, you know, Mark, Mark loves that, too. The idea that we can go out there and say, we got a real problem here and we're going to fight it. We're going to deal with it. And we're going to do it the right way because these people behind, behind me, they, they know how to do this. They know how to do this very, very well. The president understands his limitations. He understands the limitations of government too. But let's think about China for a second. Let's think about the opposite approach of China. China's approach was, we're perfect. We do everything right. We're communists, much like the Soviet Union with Chernobyl. 
We do everything right. We have no failures. Our system is perfect and we're better than the West. And if something goes wrong, we're not going to tell the world about it. We're going to cover it up. You know, the reason why I said to you, you should watch Chernobyl, the HBO uh, documentary that was done, the miniseries on, uh, on, on Chernobyl, not a documentary, but a, a dramatization of it. It's fantastic. It's great. But it shows you exactly what happens when there's no freedom. And in China, same exact thing. Same exact thing. These journalists who went there and showed what was going on and vanished, striking footage, showing the truth about what was happening in Wuhan, China. And they've gone missing. And of course, the doctor who first discovered this died, uh, allegedly of the Wuhan coronavirus. But I, I'm, I, for one, am skeptical of that fact. I don't know about you, but it, it seems to me altogether too convenient. 866-505-4626 is the number tonight for the Mark Levin Show. It's a special new phone number tonight only. 866-505-4626 for you to weigh in. And I want to ask you, if you saw the president today, are you, are you happy with what you heard today? I think it was, uh, it was uh, optimistic because we don't want people to panic. Nobody needs to panic. And unfortunately, there's a lot, there's a lot of, I think, over-preparation going on today. I'm hoping you have enough toilet paper. That seems to be the hottest item in the country right now, toilet paper. Behind Purell, it's toilet paper. If you have toilet paper, you're a very, very lucky person, apparently. I don't know why we need all this toilet paper. I'm not sure exactly what, what other uses you could have for it. But apparently, that's the rage. Maybe it just gives us a sense of calm. I don't know. But if you're stocking up on toilet paper, you know, you, you know damn well that that is the item to have. That is the go-to must-have accessory during the uh, self-isolation periods of the social distancing of the Wuhan coronavirus days. We'll all look back on this and remember someday because we will get through it. I mean, that's the reality. We will get through this. And the president was right to say that, too. We'll get through this. We will. But you know what? When we get through this, my hope is that we don't let China off the hook. And the world has to know what China did by covering this up, by not being honest with the world, by not letting in the world community to go and try to deal with this problem. The world needs to hold China responsible. I'm not talking about an invasion. I'm not talking about World War III. I'm saying that we have to record it as the Chinese Wuhan virus. We need to record it as the Wuhan coronavirus because otherwise they'll get off the hook and they'll just say it was a global pandemic. And whether it's Italy or the United States of America or any other country around the world who is dealing with this problem today, they're dealing with this problem. You're dealing with this problem because of China, because China did the wrong thing. 866-505-4626, 866-505-4626. The Mark Levin Show, the great one is off tonight. Rich Zioli from Mark's hometown of Philadelphia, WPHD. Great to be with you tonight. Mark Levin. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning, but what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue. That having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. 
All right, the great one is off tonight. Rich Zioli from Mark's hometown of Philadelphia. Great to be with you tonight. Quote from the president's national security advisor. Unfortunately, rather than use best practices, this outbreak in Wuhan was covered up. There's lots of open source reporting from Chinese nationals that the doctors involved were either silenced or put in isolation. So the word of this virus could not get out. It probably cost the world community two months to respond. Every death of the coronavirus is on China's hands. It, it really is. It really is. Because they, much like Chernobyl, when that nuclear reactor exploded and they did nothing about it, the Soviet Union covered it up. Anybody who, who died after that, it's on the hands of the government. Now, if they're trying to do the right thing and they're, they're trying to respond to it and people die, well, unfortunately, I mean, that happens. But when the government purposely covers it up and purposely does not let the world community know what's happening, even though a virus, much like a nuclear meltdown, goes beyond borders, then the blood's on their hands. The blood's on their hands. I'm not, uh, I'm not a racist person, and I happen to love Chinese food. It's my second favorite cuisine. So when I say it's the Chinese virus, I'm not being racist. I'm not trying to be racist. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, to destroy China. I, I simply want to hold them accountable. It'd be like uh, taking Chernobyl and instead of calling it Chernobyl, calling it nuclear reactor or nuclear meltdown. And then if anybody ever said uh, the word Chernobyl, you go, ah, that's racist. That's racist now because you're bringing the Russians into it. But nobody would say such a stupid thing, right? And, you know, if HBO had to remake the show Chernobyl and they had to, re- they had to change the name. Nuclear meltdown. Why would you change it from Chernobyl? Well, we can't say Chernobyl. That's racist. Why? Because, well, it, it, may, it implicates the Russians. But yet with the Wuhan virus, it, it's racist now, even though it started there. And the Chinese government purposely kept the world community out. Costing us two months to respond to this. Two months. He said that if China had been cooperative at the beginning of the outbreak. The World Health Organization Centers for Disease Control and Prevention could have had teams on the ground in China earlier to analyze the virus's sequence. Quote from the president's national security advisor, I think we could have dramatically curtailed what happened in China and what's happening across the world. The virus, which originated in Wuhan, the capital of China's Hubei province, has now spread to more than 100 countries and territories and sickened upward of 1,000 people in the United States. And, of course, those numbers are going to grow. This is the Hill dot com reporting this so the world has to hold and history has to hold china accountable not because we hate china or chinese people or chinese food we hate the government of china and they need to be held accountable 866-505-4626 the new number for today here on the mark levin show with me rich zioli from wphd in philadelphia your calls glad you're here I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning, but what about character? Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue. That having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale College student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. 
Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. It is the Mark Levin Show. The great one is off tonight, but Rich Zioli with you from Mark's hometown of Philadelphia, WPHD, where I do the morning show. Special number tonight, 866-505-4626. The president did a great job today, and uh, it was much better than the Oval Office Address, which I thought uh, left something to be desired. But today was a home run in every every, uh, instance. It really was. And I think the key was the president enlisted the private sector bringing out these CEOs, bringing out the experts, letting them share the podium with him. And he kept referring to it as a team, the team, the team. And he kept bringing up the people behind him. He kept saying, does anybody have any questions for them? Let's, let's ask them some questions. And he kept bringing, bringing them into it, the conversation, the CEOs and the other people that are, that are there. And it was an excellent uh, presentation today. It really was. And, you know, in the middle of this, as the president was announcing this national declaration and talking about how they're getting through the red tape of the nonsense with regards to the testing. And I'll get into some of this as the show progresses today of why it took so long, why it took so incredibly long for the, for the testing to come to market. And it has everything to do with regulations. But one of the, uh, the people that the president brought out today is Ambassador Deborah Burks, highly respected, completely, she's not a Trump appointee. She's been there for a while. She, she's led the response to the AIDS epidemic in this country. She's incredibly well-respected. See, despite uh, Stephen, Stephen King's idiotic tweet somebody sent me, note that Trump's coronavirus team is all male, all old, and all white. Uh, Ambassador Burks is a woman, uh, Deborah, and she's, uh, she's terrific. She's fantastic. Super smart. And this is what she had to say with regards to getting rid of the red tape surrounding these tests. Cut 21. I think you know at the beginning of this epidemic, HHS through CDC proactively developed an assay built on the existing flu surveillance system. That surveillance system was then converted to diagnostic system. But last Tuesday, seeing the spread of the virus around the globe, the president realized that our current approach to testing was inadequate to meet the needs of the American public. He asked for an entire overhaul of the testing approach. He immediately called the private sector laboratories to the White House, as noted, and charged them with developing a high-throughput quality platform that can meet the needs of the American public. We are grateful to LabCorp and Quest for taking up the charge immediately after the meeting and within 72 hours bringing additional testing access, particularly to the outbreak areas of Washington State and California and now across the country. I think you know... It's important that you know this is a a highly successful, very, very smart, smart person. In the 1980s, she was leading the response to the AIDS epidemic, and she's now in charge of leading the response and helping with the response to the uh, coronavirus. And could not think of a better group of people on the stage behind the president of the United States than those CEOs. I mean, just bringing the private sector in, people that know how to get it done versus government, which is so inefficient. And takes forever to get anything done. And that's really what President Trump acknowledged today. That's really what he acknowledged today. 866-505-4626. 866-505-4626. Here on the Mark Levin Show with me, Rich Zioli. Let us go to Matt in Columbus, Ohio. Matt, you're on the Mark Levin Show. Yeah, hey, Rich. How are hey, you? Hey, Matt. Good, buddy. Hey, uh, 
just wanted to let you know that your toilet paper's on the way. The uh, president <laughs> was he was working with the American Trucking Association today, and they lifted the uh, hours of service service regulations on uh, trucks, so that uh, if we can safely make our deliveries, we uh, are to continue on through and do so. Well, that's terrific. So the, uh, yeah, the shelves. Uh, I think so, you uh, just. Yeah, Matt, you just broke up a little bit. You said the shelves will be full, huh? Yeah, yeah, everything's on the way. There's no uh, no delay in delivery, so it, it, it'll be there tomorrow if it's not there today. And uh, no before way. before the left predicts that there'll be massive uh, accidents on the highways, uh, everybody will be pretty much okay to do this, you think? Yeah, if you can safely make your delivery, uh, yeah, just continue on through and do it. All right. I love it. I love to get rid of the bureaucracy and the regulations. Matt, thank you, buddy. Have a great uh, and safe drive. Thanks for calling the Mark Levin Show, 866-505-4626. That's what I'm talking about. You go back to January when they first started to try to do the coronavirus testing, and the FDA and the CDC kept saying, no, bureaucrats, no, it doesn't meet our, our testing requirements, doesn't meet our specifications, doesn't meet our lab guidelines, blah, 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 blah. And we lost time because of that, because government's so inefficient. The president says, bring in the private sector. They know how to get things done. They do. We can't, as conservatives and, and libertarians, turn around and go, hey, it's a crisis. Government, save us. That's what the left does. And I give the president enormous credit for recognizing that, actually, what the government can do is, uh, is learn from the private sector in moments like this. Learn from the doctors, the hospitals, industry, businesses, Learn from them and understand their needs and extend of, uh, instead of expanding government power. Because, look, when you declare a national emergency, there's all kinds of powers the president could exercise. He's not looking to keep us in our homes with a curfew. He's not looking to have the National Guard go up and down the streets. He's not looking to have helicopters in the air. He's just looking to get rid of burdensome regulations that take time away from the professionals that need to test people for the virus. That's something everybody should celebrate on the right and the left. Of course they won't. Obviously they won't. And they'll turn around and go, well, it's about time. You'll hear a lot of that today, no doubt about it. Michael is in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where I broadcast from every morning from 530 to 9. Michael. Go ahead, sir. Yes. How you doing? Hey, we went to see you in Pittman, the great one and yourself. Have to put him first. I'll and, tell you, uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't Mark Levin terrific that night? Ah. Uh, that, it was morning. It was beautiful. We morning, we right? Antique shopping, and it was just a neat little town that I never even knew existed. But what I wanted to say is, what the president did today was absolutely genius. It was just like no prior president ever would think of doing what he did today. And I think everybody just stood there with their mouth hanging. They didn't know what to say to him. They were asking, "Well, we needed time, and we want this, and we want that." How's he supposed to answer those questions? I mean, it's ridiculous. I know. It is ridiculous. You're right. And, uh, and by the way, thanks for mentioning and coming to the event with Mark Levin. Mark's so gracious with his time, and uh, he's, he's terrific, and I know he wanted to be here tonight. Uh, 866-505-4626. Thank you, Michael, for the call here on the Mark Levin Show. Michael is, uh, let's see, I'm just make sure I have this right here. So that was Michael in Philly, PA. So let's go to Peter in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You're on the Mark Levin Show. Hello, Peter. Yes, yeah. How are you doing? Very well. Good. Um, in my honor. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Sorry. What's your point, buddy? You're uh, on the air. 
Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I work for one of the biggest uh, corporations in America. I work for uh, Amazon. And my thing is this. How come no one, no one on any of the news programs whatsoever has uh, put forward whether or not China is going to be financially responsible for what has happened? Uh, we, we, we're getting hit with all the schools closing down up here in Pennsylvania. Um, it might bite into our pocket. It might not. But my thing is that with all these deaths that are happening and all these uh, financial setbacks are happening, not one news organization has spoken to the fact that we should uh, be holding China financially responsible for what is happening around the planet. Well, it's a great point, but I think the, the bigger problem is how do we collect from China? You know, how, how do we we can hold them financially responsible, but how are they going to how are they going to make good on it is probably the bigger question. Look, I would be happy if uh, if we just as a as a world held China responsible by just calling it the Chinese coronavirus. That alone would make me happy right there. Just by calling it the Wuhan virus, you're reminding people of where it came from. It's just like Chernobyl. Chernobyl was a place. Chernobyl was a place in the Soviet Union where a nuclear reactor went down. And we refer to it that way, even though the Soviet Union tried to cover it up. It's the same thing we have to do with this virus, despite what the, the Chinese government wants. And despite what the media in this country and the Democrats are willing to do for them, which is cover for them. Cover for them and then yell at me or you for being a racist for saying where the virus originated. I mean, it's insane. Thanks for the call to the Mark Levin Show. Uh, Today, the president, during the uh, very, very important point today that the president made. But, of course, he uh, he got the usual nasty questions. PBS reporter asking the president about disbanding the White House pandemic office. This is cut number 22. Go. ...to upcoming trade talks in... uh in response to how we're handling this No, we virus. have our deal with China. They're going to be buying $250 billion worth of goods and $50 billion from our farmers, and it's a great deal for our country. It's about time somebody did that. Uh, and frankly, uh, phase two will start negotiating. Uh, I did read one article, but I don't think that article was representative, certainly not of my conversations with President Xi. And they know where it came from. We all know where it came from. Thank you, Mr. President. Yanis Shalsander from PBS yes. NewsHour. Um, my first question is, you said that you don't take responsibility, but you did disband the White House pandemic office, and the officials that were working in that office left this administration abruptly. So what responsibility do you take to that? And the officials that worked in that office said that, you, that the White House lost valuable time because that office wasn't disbanded. What do you make of that? Well, I just think it's a nasty question because what we've done is uh, – and. Tony had said numerous times that uh, we've saved thousands of lives because of the quick closing. Uh, and when you say me, I didn't do it. Uh, we have a group of people. I could, I could ask perhaps my administration, but I could perhaps ask uh, Tony about that because I, I don't know anything about it. I mean, you say you say we did that. I don't know anything you, about it. You don't know We're about spending, the, about no, the reorganization know. that it's, happened it's at the, the National it's Security It's the administration. Council. Perhaps they do that. You know, people it's, let it's, people go. You used to be with a different newspaper than you are now. You know, things like that happen. But this was, a, okay. this was an or- Please, this go ahead. organization. We're doing a great job. Let me tell you, these professionals behind me and the 
these great, incredible doctors and business people, the best in the world, and I can say that, whether it's retailers or, or labs or anything you want to say, these are the best in the world. We're doing a great job. Uh, we have 40 people right now, 40. Compare that with other countries that have many, many times that amount. And one of the reasons we have 40 and others have, and again, that number's going up, just so you understand. And a number of cases, which are very small, relatively speaking, it's going up. But we've done a great job because we acted quickly. We acted early. And there's nothing we could have done that was better than closing our borders to highly infected areas. Please go ahead. Thank you, Mr. President. Vanessa, at least for anti-antiracy. You know, the, uh, the key, thank you for that. The, the key here is this. There were, uh, there's a lot of red tape in our government. We need to learn a couple lessons here. Number one, we have to learn the fact that the bureaucracy is slow to respond to everything. Government is not good at solving problems. And we have to learn that in the future, because this is going to happen again, we have to be able to very, very quickly get the medical community involved to figure out what they need and not say no to them because of red tape. And that's exactly what happened here. There's a piece from uh, Adam Thier, who's going to be on my show in Philadelphia Monday morning. And uh, his piece is how the U.S. botched coronavirus testing. Now, th this isn't about Donald Trump botching it. It's about the government, the federal government botching it. It has to go with what happened back in, uh, in Seattle. A private team of doctors offered an effective test before federal regulators approved one. And what happened? They were told no. Dr. Helen Chu and a team of infectious disease experts in Seattle, they were told the government will stop you. See, she and her team of researchers in the Seattle area have been collecting nasal swabs from residents experiencing symptoms in an effort to monitor the spread of the flu in the region. Turned out they could use their test to monitor the coronavirus outbreak, but they would need approval from state and federal officials to do so legally. But nearly everywhere Dr. Chu turned, officials repeatedly rejected the idea, according to the New York Times, even though it was clear that the virus was already ravaging China and likely to spread to the United States, throughout the United States. She and her team decided to start performing coronavirus tests without government approval anyway. Their worst fears were confirmed as they were able to document that a local teenager had the coronavirus. Government officials later confirmed the findings from Dr. Chu's team. According to the New York Times reporter Sherry Fink and Mike Baker, however, regulators still would not allow her to move forward with more testing. Federal and state officials said the flu study could not be repurposed because it did not have explicit permission from research subjects. The labs were also not certified for clinical work. While acknowledging the ethical questions, Dr. Chu and others argue there should be more flexibility in an emergency during which so many lives could be lost. On Monday night, state regulators told them to stop testing altogether. This is the kind of stuff that we have to make sure never happens again. And today, the president made a point of saying that. Made a point of saying, for the next time, we got to be ready. And we got to get rid of the red tape now so this doesn't happen in the future. So in the future, we're able to quickly test without having to deal with the bureaucracy. Because it wasn't Trump that said no to, the, to, to them doing these special tests back then. It was, it was just bureaucrats. Bureaucrats in the CDC and the FDA, back and forth, back and forth. Oh, we can't allow this, can't allow that. Ask the CDC, ask the FDA, ask them, ask them. Back and forth, back and forth. Meanwhile, the virus is spreading. Meanwhile, the virus is spreading. That's unacceptable. 866-505-4626. Special number tonight on the Mark Levin Show. The great one is out tonight, but I'm in for him. Fellow Levinite Rich Zioli from WPHD in Philadelphia. 866-505-4626. Mark Levin. I've been talking a lot about the four pillars or purposes of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. We focus quite a bit on the first pillar of learning. But what about character? 
Learning the right things to the point where you truly know them is a rigorous business. It isn't possible without strong character. Hillsdale's great president, Larry Arnn, and his outstanding faculty at Hillsdale know that intellectual virtue is meaningless without moral virtue, that having knowledge doesn't mean much if you don't use what you know to serve the good, however possible. And here's an outstanding fact. Every entering freshman at Hillsdale signs an honor code that reads as follows. A Hillsdale college student is honorable in conduct, honest in word and deed, dutiful in study and service, and respectful of the rights of others. Through education, the student rises to self-government. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. My buddy Sid on Twitter suggested, why don't we just take $2 trillion off of our tab of what we owe China? Just whatever the cost is, just take it off the tab. We owe them a lot of money, so we'll just deduct that, and uh, there you go. So we never have to collect from them. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. If you'd like to tweet me, as I fill in for the great one tonight, at Rich Zioli, R-I-C-H-Z-E-O-L-I. By the way, the American Institute for Economic Research is the, uh, the home base of this article I've been referencing, how the U.S. botched coronavirus testing. It's red tape. It's red tape. It's not that the White House didn't want people tested. It's red tape that they never were made aware of this. And, uh, and the president acknowledged today by unleashing these, these regulations, by unleashing the private industry, the private sector to start working on a solution, this testing issue, that we can't let this happen again. Can have, but, but, you know, the left is going to keep blaming him. That's the thing. You know that as much as I do. You know that. When they should be blaming China. They should be blaming China for all this. But think of how much, and in the next hour, I'm going to play what Joe Biden said. It is ridiculous, as usual. But think of how much energy they're spending yelling, how dare you call it the Chinese coronavirus? How dare you call it Wuhan? Wuhan is a place. Chernobyl is a place. These are places. That's why I said earlier they should rename if they want to rename the Chernobyl show on HBO, which is awesome. If they want to follow the left's PC doctrine, I guess they'd have to call it nuclear reactor meltdown. You can't you can't call it the place. Can't name the place. Why? It's racist to Russians. But it happened there. Yeah, but they want to be racist to Russian people, so can't call it that. Because that's literally what they're saying about Wuhan. Virus started there, this outbreak, and then the Chinese government, much like with Chernobyl, uh, covered it up, delayed the time, the valuable, precious time in which we could have stopped this outbreak from spreading. And this is what they do. And this, this, is, this is the problem with, with communist societies. There's not a functioning communist society that has freedom, and this is, this is the issue. And, you know, as we run around, these, they run around people like Bernie Sanders uh, saying, you know, I'm a Democrat socialist. Democrat. No, you're a socialist, and that's, the, that's it. You're a socialist, and you love a lot of these communist ideals, as does AOC. As do most Democrats these days. The party's gone very far left. And so, for them, they'd much rather yell at you than yell at China. Because to expose how bad China is, is to expose how bad socialism is, how bad communism is. And they don't want to do that. They can't afford to do that. But today, we learn the difference and what freedom can accomplish. And we always have to make sure the world holds them accountable. 866-505-4626. Special number here on the Mark Levin Show, hour two, straight ahead. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. 
is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. The great one is out tonight, but I'm your fellow Levinite, Rich Zioli from Philadelphia, and the president today pointing out something very obvious, the private sector can get it done. Government can't. We know that as conservatives, right? As constitutionalists, libertarians, we know this. We've been saying it for a long time. And the president echoed that today. Government can only do so much. And the president brought up the private sector and said, let's get this done. Let's remove the red tape. Let's remove the regulations. Let's get it done and defeat this coronavirus once and for all. There's a special phone number tonight here on the Mark Levin Show just for tonight. 866-505-4626. 866-505-4626. Now, you might be asking yourself, Rich, why do you keep bringing up Chernobyl? All right, fair point. Well, first of all, I'm trying to help you. All right, trying to help you because uh, if you're going to be inside the house this weekend, social distancing or whatever it's called now, uh, you you, you might be bored. So I'm telling you, you should watch the show. It's a great show. It's a terrific, terrific show. Really shows the absolute cover-up by the communist government of Russia, Soviet Union, and, uh, and, and how, how dangerous that is. really shows you the failures of communism. But also because MSNBC declared coronavirus to be Trump's Chernobyl. Right. So my point is that if, we're, if we can't say Wuhan, where the virus originated, we can't say Chernobyl because that's racist to Russians. So uh, I guess we've got to change that name too. This is MSNBC, a bunch of uh, people sitting around the table blab- blabbing here. Uh, cut number one. President's remarks last night, uh, you've called this his Chernobyl. Can you explain? Yeah, I mean, I think since the beginning of this crisis, the important thing for Donald Trump has been protecting myths around his alternative reality, which is to say that he has this completely under control. And in Chernobyl, what you had was a moment in which protecting the Soviet state's myths were the most important thing, and that caused people to die. And so I think what we need now is objective policy that is driven by evidence. It is driven by public health experts. It is driven by honesty and credibility. And unfortunately, what you've had for the last couple months is Trump playing catch up and trying to spin this as though it's a PR problem or an economic problem, as opposed to a public health crisis that requires urgent leadership that he simply has not delivered so far. Brett? I mean, I've I've made a similar point, and it goes deeper than just the way in which the president has handled this. I mean, this has been a truth optional presidency from uh, the beginning. And when you have a... uh, All right, that's enough. Thank you very much. All right, so today the president brings out all the experts, private sector, enlisted CEOs, Walmart, CVS, Target, we're all going to solve this together. We're, we're going to defeat this virus. We're going to, we're going to do this together. We're going to... I assume that all those people will apologize, right? Of course they won't. Now, they're more angry at the president and, and you and me for calling it Wuhan virus and coronavirus, right? They're angry about that. It's racist, blah, 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 blah. Joe Biden, same, same nonsense with Joe Biden. He, he, again, he's pandering to the left, pandering to the extreme left in his party, by going on about the xenophobia, the language, we can't fall back on this. How dare we do this? This is Joe Biden from his, uh, his big speech yesterday, which basically copied Trump's speech the other night. Cut number 10. Yesterday, we announced a public health advisory committee of experts who will continue to counsel my campaign and me, help guide our decisions on the steps to minimize further risks. But we also, we will lead by science. 
World Health Organization now has officially, officially declared COVID-19 a pandemic. Downplaying it, being overly dismissive, or spreading misinformation is only going to hurt us and further advantage the spread of the disease. But neither should we panic or fall back on xenophobia. Labeling COVID-19 a foreign virus does not displace accountability for the misjudgments that have been taken thus far by the Trump administration. Let me be crystal clear. The coronavirus does not have a political affiliation. It will infect Republicans, independents, and Democrats alike. It will not discriminate based on national origin, race, gender, or zip code. It will touch people in positions of power, as well as the most vulnerable in our society. You ever wonder what's with these people constantly, everything focusing on race and gender and sexual orientation, everything, everything, everything comes back to that with them. It's amazing. Don't fall back on xenophobia. First of all, it's xenophobia. It's xenophobia, Joe Biden. Don't fall back on xenophobia. Uh, they, you know why? Because they had to pronounce it's spelled with an X. But Joe Biden would have looked like he would not have been able to if they in the teleprompter because he's reading. If they had put the actual spelling with the X, Joe Biden would have been flummoxed. X X in a uh, X in a phobia X in a X X ray is it an X ray? So they had to they had to do it phonetically. So the Z that's why he called it xenophobia. They could not put the X. Joe Biden's mind would have just exploded. So it's Z xenophobia. That's why he said it that way. Uh, to call it a foreign a foreign disease, but it is a foreign virus, you idiot. It started in Wuhan, China. But again, we can't, that's, we can't acknowledge that. We have to cover for China. We like a lot of Chinese policies. We like the fact that China's communist. So we have to cover for them. So don't say it's foreign. Of course it's foreign. Why would we not want to acknowledge the truth of this? Because again, they pander. They pander to all this PC nonsense that they always do. All right, 866-505-4626 on the Mark Levin Show. Let me go to Sergeant Mike Berry in River Edge, New Jersey. Sergeant, you're on the Mark Levin Show with me, Rich Zioli. How are you? Well, thank you for taking my call. First of all, I want to salute you and your father, who I worked with. I'm a retired Port Authority police sergeant, retired two weeks ago. I worked with your dad, and he was instrumental in recovering bodies at the World Trade Center site. That was an opportunity for government to get involved. And when the president announced that he was going to declare an emergency, to be honest with you, I got a little nervous because I thought he was folding. I never thought he would come up with a combination of private sector and public sector, which was brilliant. And it worked incredibly well, and I think we're going to be fine. I'm not going to keep you very long. I just want to thank you for being a voice of reason and being competent. You're a reflection of your dad. You remind me so much of him. When you speak to him, tell him thank you for everything he did for us, for the Port Authority Police, for people of New York and New Jersey, not only as a police lieutenant, but recovering bodies. And I salute you both. Well, I salute you. And thank you for doing that. You're a hero, sir. And I appreciate that. Congratulations on your retirement, by the way. It, it's a little strange. After 40 years, I'm, I have time to call you. Now, are you going to join the exodus and get the hell out of New Jersey? Yes, I am. Punta yeah. Gorda, Florida is awaiting me. Oh, nice. Good for you. Good for you. Well, thank you, my friend. God bless. And I appreciate the call tonight and the kind words you said about my dad. Thank you very much. 
Very nice. Very, very nice. God bless. 866-505-4626. 866-505-4626. Jimmy in Brooklyn, New York on the Mark Levin Show. Jimmy, how are you? Jimmy. Is Jimmy there? Jimmy may not be there. Okay. Let's try uh, Mark in North Dakota on the Mark Levin Show. Mark, how are you? Yes, good. How are you? Doing well. Is this Rich? Yes, sir. What's going on? Oh, hey, listen. Thank you so much for taking my call. I, I just had a quick question regarding, um, uh, first of all, I'm an electrician in uh, North Dakota working in the oil fields. And uh, I knew that Donald Trump, my president, was going to give a speech today, come out and uh, offer some relief to us and to the world for that for that fact. Um, but I didn't get a chance to, to listen to it because I was working. But I did hear that he had released a large amount of money uh, to help out. And I was just curious. The, the question I had was how he did it, um, you know, because I had heard that two days ago that Congress was trying to pass a bill. Um, but he vetoed it and shut it down because Nancy Pelosi and the left wanted to put some things in that bill or that were not even related to this whole crisis, uh, you know, and, and to keep Americans healthy and, and get back on the road, um, you know, to uh, recovering, um, you know, America's uh, economic and health. And so I was just curious. I got, I got some ideas on how he might have done it. But, but you know, if, if I may, Rich, if you just give me two seconds, I would like to, you know that Donald Trump, our president, is a smart man. And that could only mean one thing. He's listening to this broadcast right now. He's probably, I know he's a busy man, but he's got to be listening because he's a smart guy. If I could address my president right now, I want him to know that I love him, my family loves him, my friends, this country loves him, and most importantly, God loves him. And I want to extend my greatest, uh, greatest, Thank you to Mr. President Trump. He's a great American. So, well, Mark, that- thank you. Thank you for saying that. I'll answer your question off the air, Mark. Thank you for that uh, very much. By the way, I should mention the president has declared a, a national day of prayer coming up in uh, in March. I'll give you more details on that. So the money, he, he set aside a certain amount of money to be available to the states through the course of the usual process by which a federal emergency declaration is declared. That doesn't mean necessarily that all the money will be spent, but the money's available. The, uh, the other issue regarding a payroll tax and other subsidies for various industries and that sort of thing to help them through this, that has not gone through Congress yet. So the president hasn't vetoed it yet. But, but Mike, he's right about one thing. Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi was trying to load it with all kinds of crap that had nothing to do with, nothing to do with coronavirus. Nothing. Including, by the way, paid sick leave for people that are victims of stalking. Stalking. Not, not not being stalked by a virus, but being stalked by a, a person. And so it would mandate uh, paid leave for them and, and a friend, by the way, to help them through it. And the employers would have to pay for that up to 14 days. So this is what they do. They try to cram in all this nonsense. And what really what the Democrats were trying to do is to create a public benefit for paid sick leave. This has been a big thing of the left for a long time. Forcing employers to pay for sick leave. It's one of their big, big things they, they run on, they stand for all the time. Uh, And so what they did was they put in the bill a mandatory, non-sunsetting, non-expiring provision whereby America would have paid sick leave. And it's not just for the coronavirus. It's there forever. But on top of that, what she added was was another 14 days on top of that for the coronavirus. So for a total of 21 days of paid sick leave, but not just for this coronavirus period, but forever and ever. 
And the Republicans said, this is a non-starter. We're not doing this. The money the president freed up is under the usual emergency declaration. But I think this is important to remember, too, is that when you're talking about this and you think about what has to be done here by enlisting the private sector in this, and they're willing to make an investment here, too, that's also key for the American taxpayer, I think. That's, that's very key. And all those evil pharmaceutical companies, don't you love how the left hates pharmaceutical companies, you know, big pharma, and I listen to them all the time, the big drug makers, how awful and evil and greedy they are. Who do we turn to right now? Who are we turning to? Drug makers, right? Make us a vaccine. Make us a cure for this. Please make us something. Do something. Do anything. Everybody's turning to the big evil pharmaceutical companies, right? Isn't that something? Isn't that delicious? The big medical uh, giants. And they will get it done. And yeah, they might even make money off it. Imagine that, right? It was innovation, which pushes people. But something we have to wake up to is this. Unfortunately, these companies also outsource the manufacturing of their medicines, including vital antibiotics that we may need. This, uh, this coronavirus thing out of Wuhan is not going to be the last time we're dealing with a pandemic. You know it and I know it. Forget guns. This is the new warfare. You know, you don't, you don't want to necessarily have a virus that kills a lot of people. I'm, I'm not suggesting that this is, a, this is warfare. I'm saying that that is what we have to be prepared for. A virus that can cripple our economy. Just kill enough people and scare people enough where the economy goes into a, a major depression. And we may need one day our antibiotics. And if they're all made in China, and China hates us, and we hate them, they're a bad actor, and then China now controls the supply chain, the distribution, the production of those antibiotics, we are in trouble. We're in really big trouble, and we got to make sure that that doesn't happen. I mean, even today, China was threatening to withhold life-saving drugs around the coronavirus. They're not good. China's not good. They're not our friends. And we got to wake up here to the fact that if, if this really was the kind of thing that could destroy us and kill us and we needed that super antibiotic to be mass-produced and China said, sorry, can't do it, we would be up the creek without a paddle, if you know what I mean. Big, tr- big trouble. We cannot allow that to happen. We have to wake up to that fact and wake up to it fast. 866-505-4626. 866-505-4626. Rich Zioli in for the great one. Mark Levin coming right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Democracy and red tape that uh, kept the testing of the virus uh, delayed. 
it had nothing to do with the White House, nothing to do with the president. Just it had to do with the, the layers of bureaucracy within the CDC and the FDA. And, you know, the uh, here on the Mark Levin Show with me, Rich Zioli, I'm going to take a lot of calls. So don't worry, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to you. If you're on hold, I'm going to get to you uh, soon. Thanks for your patience. Obviously, there's a ton of people who want to weigh in tonight, which is great. On our special number tonight, 866-505-4626. There is a New York Times story that was done. And uh, as much as we hate the New York Times, they got this one right. And they talk about how the delays that existed with the with the coronavirus testing, the delays and why they were there. And a lot of them were, as they put it, good, good intentions. All the way back in February when they tried to test these and federal and state officials kept saying, no, can't do this, can't do that. The Seattle flu study illustrates how existing regulations and red tape, sometimes designed to protect privacy and health, have impeded the rapid rollout of testing nationally. While other countries ramped up much earlier and faster, faced with a public health emergency on a scale potentially not seen in a century, the United States had not responded nimbly. The CDC's own effort to create a system for monitoring the virus around the country has not yet built steam. And as of last week, after expanding authorizations for commercial and academic institutions to make tests, administration officials provided conflicting accounts of when a significant increase in tests would be available because they're still trying to deal with the incredible bureaucracy. So today, the president addressed that head on, and he said this. Go ahead. We'll remove or eliminate every obstacle necessary to deliver our people the care that they need and that they're entitled to. No resource will be spared, nothing whatsoever. Ten days ago, I brought together the CEOs of commercial labs at the White House and directed them to immediately begin working on a solution to dramatically increase the availability of tests. We'll remove or eliminate every obstacle necessary to deliver our people the care that they need and that they're entitled to. No resource will be spared, nothing whatsoever. Ten days ago, I brought All right, now, you know, here's the key, and here's the key point on this, right? Getting the testing out there as soon as possible for the next time around so we can make sure that we don't have to worry about this problem in the future. This is the big learning. This is the big learning exercise in this. The big, uh, what is it, the teachable moment, I think they say. And the president addressed that today head on. You can't blame him for the bureaucracy. You blame government for that. And that's why the president's enlisting the private sector to battle this head on. He did great today. Really did. Home run today. Absolute home run by the president today. 866-505-4626 on the Mark Levin Show with me, Rich Zioli, coming right back. I'm always amazed how the left latches on to all the different pandering that they do. You know, race, gender, sexual orientation, lack of gender, gender neutral, non-gender. Uh, and they're doing it again with the coronavirus. No surprise there, of course. No surprise whatsoever. This is the Mark Levin Show with me, Rich Zioli, and for the great one, I'm the Morning Drive host on WPHT in Philadelphia, Mark's hometown, as a matter of fact. I was just with Mark last weekend. He came in and uh, to Pittman, New Jersey. We had a great time together, about... Uh, 1,200 people? I mean, it was sold out. Sold out in hours. Uh, great conversation on stage. He's a, he's a heck of a nice guy. I'll tell you what. The first thing you realize when you meet Mark in person is that he's the nicest guy you'll ever, like, just one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. He's a great guy. Uh, we had a really great chat. At the start of it, the start of the event, I said, uh, listen, we're not shaking hands today. All right? I said, uh, my wife is pregnant a couple weeks. You know, I, said, I can't afford to get her sick. And I, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I get everything, you know? 
Mark kind of does too. So he said, no shaking hands. So we did the, uh, he did the fist bump. I did the, as they call it, the chicken wing thing. It was like elbow to elbow. You know, you got to do the elbow thing. I'm fine with not shaking hands, by the way. I'm, I'm totally cool with that, especially because apparently there's a uh, toilet paper shortage. So I definitely don't want to shake hands as long as that's going on. I'm okay with that. Uh, absolutely okay with that. I'll tell you, you might think there's a lot of overreaction out there, and that is because there's a lot of overreaction out there. I mean, a lot of it. Here's the upside, though, to that, all right? As you think about uh, flattening the curve, as they say, and you flatten the curve, and then this virus doesn't spread, spring is right around the corner, summer's right around the corner, and it goes away, Donald Trump is going to get the credit for that. He's going to get the credit for that. So I know as much as there's a number of, uh, you may be one of the people that say, this is ridiculous, it's overreaction, this kills more people, that kills more people, this kills more people. But if you can just go a couple weeks without going to a ball game or going to a play or going to a big party or something like that, and this thing goes away, uh, you've just helped Trump secure re-election. Versus, we don't adhere to that, and we do spread it, and and I'm fine, you're fine, because we're healthy people, but you know, people like the ground zero first responders who have all kinds of lung issues. I and mean, those those guys in the pit, my dad and Sergeant Mike Berry and the others, they they uh, they've got a lot of they got a lot of health problems, as you know. Elderly people, people in nursing homes. I mean, th- those individuals I worry about. And I think that the vice president made a great point today. He said, you know, the people that cared for us now we have to care for them by making sure this doesn't spread because they're the ones who can die from this. And everybody, you, you go back and forth, the mortality rate, the mortality rate. But the issue is we don't want to, we just don't want to have a lot of deaths, certainly because these are our fellow Americans and our family members and our, and our, and our, our grandparents, our uncles and that sort of thing, our aunts, you know, but also because everything is politics. And if there's a lot of, uh, a lot of death as a result of this, that's, that's on the president versus we do our part as individuals. We, uh, we social distance, as they put it. We just stop going to big things. We make sure we're not sick. If we are sick, we stay home. And it goes away because viruses go away, probably in a couple of weeks. And then it's over. And then we, they work on a, uh, a vaccine for next winter when it will probably come back. And then we're good to go. That's a, that's, a, that's a big win right there politically. That's a really big win. And I think that that is, uh, that's you doing your part, me doing my part. And it's really not a big ask. I mean, it really isn't. And I get that this is a giant inconvenience, especially if you've got kids who are home from school for the next couple of weeks or a month or two. I get it. Believe me, I get it. Like I said, I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a baby on the way. I'm completely with you on that point. Or you go to the store and you go, what the hell is going on here? Why can't I find bleach? Why can't I find this or that? There's a hoarding mentality that happens. Which is why I am a, I'm actually a guy who will defend price gouging because price gouging actually ensures a proper supply in the marketplace. People then don't go in and wind up buying everything on the shelf because it's limited. It's it actually the – I look at it this way. Whenever there's a crisis, all of a sudden we become socialists and we want the government to start regulating the marketplace. But you do that and then what happens is supplies run short, right, because everybody winds up – Stocking up, they go in, they go, oh, look, bleach is uh, two, $2. I'll get, I'll get all 10 of them versus what the market actually demands. That price of bleach is now $20 because there's such a demand for it and a limited supply. So now you only get one. And that kind of, that's why the invisible hand of the marketplace fixes those issues. But right away, of course, you know, usually Democrat governors come out with their price gouging nonsense. They're going to go after this person, that person. 
Cuomo with his uh, his own brand of hand sanitizer, prison made hand sanitizer. So we can start going after people, and you know the state of New York will sell their own hand sanitizer so that you don't price gouge and charge too much of it. The reason why you don't have enough hand sanitizer is because people went in there and bought it all, and it's nonsense. And of course, there is a lot of overreaction going on. My advice: don't panic, but let's do our part to keep it from spreading, and then it's gone, and then everybody's good. As uh, as my friend said today on the show. It's like, uh, it's like a two-week blizzard. Yeah, like a two-week blizzard. This is the president in the Oval Office. He was talking about this and then not wanting a lot, of, uh, a lot of deaths on his watch, obviously. And the president talking about canceling rallies. Cut number 12. Go. We had some big rallies. We canceled one that we were thinking about doing in uh, Las Vegas, as you know, and one in uh, Reno, Nevada. Uh, we had one, uh, we had about three of them in Nevada, actually, and we had uh, four or five of them that we were thinking about. We have a big one in Tampa, all sold out. We have over 100,000 requests for tickets, but I think we'll probably not do it because people would say it's better to not do. You know, we need a little separation until such time as this goes away. It's going to go away. It's going to go away. I was watching Scott. I was watching Scott this morning. And he was saying within two months. But, you know, in the meantime, uh, we want to lose as few people as possible. So important. And what is the, the number as of this morning? Is it 32? You could tell me. Is it 32 deaths? Steve, around that. I mean, think of it. The United States, because of what I did and what the administration did with China, we have 32 deaths at this point. Other countries that are smaller countries have many, many deaths. 32 is a lot. 32 is too many. But when you look at the kind of uh, numbers that you're seeing coming out of other com- countries, it's pretty amazing when you think of it. So that's it. Now, you know, I, I had flyers today this weekend. And I'm bummed because I had really good seats in the suite, you know, to see the flyers play hockey. And all that's canceled. And I'm bummed. I'm really bummed out. But at the same time, I, I'm, I can do my part. It's okay. I'm not storming the beaches of Normandy here. It's all right. It's not, not that big of a sacrifice to make. Is it an overreaction? I don't know. We won't know until it's over because at that point we'll be able to say that the numbers were very low and look at all this overreaction, but the numbers were low. And if the, we hadn't canceled these things, would the numbers be higher? And that's always the question we'll never know. But I think the president's approach is right. It's like, you know, we'll do our part. We won't go crazy. We won't overreact. We're not going to be ridiculous. But at the same time, there'll be these short-term sacrifices. The economy will be fine. We'll be strong. There are some businesses that will be hurt. But in any free market, there's going to be winners and losers. There's going to be some winners in this, some big-time winners in this. I mean, obviously, if you're able to figure out a way to, uh, to make any object uh, toilet paper, you're going to become a very, very rich person. That's one lesson in learning this. And by the way, if you're a bidet salesman, you're going to probably do very well because that may be something the country just decides to do after this. It's like, what am I, toilet paper? What, what year is this? Get the bidet, you know, the water, the jets and whatnot, the massaging aspect, the heated seats. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, maybe Bernie Sanders can propose a free bidet for every American. Why not? 866-505-4626 on the Mark Levin Show with me, Rich Zioli, in for my buddy, the great one. Let's go to Don. He's in Washington. Uh, Don, you're kind of at the epicenter of all this, right? How you doing? Hello. Yes. Yes. How are things in Washington tonight, Don? Yes. Um, I have talk, spoke with the Chinese person uh, three days ago in uh, Ridgecrest, California, that told me that he 
uh, knows that uh, in China, five months ago, uh, a research doctor um, was working with lab rats, uh, and I, he did not know whether they were studying uh, rats for the transmission of uh, COVID-19 to rats or whether they were using rats uh, to test uh, for toxicity uh, in mammals. But that research was going on five months ago. Since that time, the doctor and his wife have both died, and their five-year-old son has survived. I don't know if that is public knowledge, but I think it should be. And uh, I happen to be a uh, independent uh, research uh, scientist and uh, know many other things that uh, I would like to share, but I don't want to take more time than that just to emphasize what should be uh, high on the list of items uh, disclosed publicly on a 24-7 basis until this crisis has passed. Number one is the incubation. All right, well, Don, thank you for that. I appreciate that, and uh, thanks for the call. You know, the I don't know about the researchers in particular, but I do know, and I mentioned this earlier, the, uh, the, the citizen journalists in China who've gone missing, who exposed to the world what, the, what was really going on in Wuhan, the heartbreaking truth of what was going on. And of course, like the Chinese, because they suppress everything over there, Freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, uh, they're missing. And by missing, I'm sure that they're either dead or they're being tortured in some Chinese prison somewhere. And it's, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. The people that brought this to the world's attention, much like, by the way, the people who tried to bring the world into the light about Chernobyl. It's why I keep saying there's so many parallels here. There's so many parallels. If, uh, if you take nothing away from the show tonight, please take away this. Chernobyl's a great show. And you will see the parallels between the Soviet Union's cover-up of Chernobyl and the Chinese government's cover-up of Wuhan. And really, there should be a show called Wuhan at some point. But now it's politically incorrect to say that. You can't say where it's from. So it won't be called that, but it should be. That would be a great show. And much like with Chernobyl and how, the, how the, uh, there were some, some individuals who tried to bring it to the world, to bring it to the attention, and then the Soviet Union, you know, goodbye. You're gone. You're dead. You don't. You'll get. You don't. You don't. They don't allow you to do that over there. And uh, we lost months here, months of time trying to play catch up to this. We've lost months, and it's interesting how these viruses keep coming out of China, right? I find that to be very interesting, and I think that there's going to come a time in the future where we're going to wish we were not so dependent upon China for all these drugs. Not only just drugs. I was talking to my buddy the other day. He's the uh, CEO of a large hospital system in the region. He was telling me, you know, most of the gloves and masks and other medical supplies that they need are made in China. And surprisingly, they're actually made in Wuhan. And this is something, too. They can't, uh, they can't get the gloves. They can't get the masks. Now, why not? Apparently, China, it's all better now, right? We keep hearing that. It's all better now. China, it's improving now. Everything's better. Everything's good. And yet, we're not getting the supply of masks and gloves that we need from Wuhan, China. Well, why not? I think you know the answer to that, obviously, because you listen to the Mark Levin Show. You're a very smart person. We can't get them because China is not doing what they need to do to get them to us. If they wanted to ramp up production and make their people work 18 hours a day, they would do it in a heartbeat. They do it when they want to. 
And they have lots of people they can work shifts in those factories. And unlike Chernobyl, those factories are not contaminated for the rest of uh, mankind. If it, Where the Wuhan outbreak was, now that it's apparently contained, it doesn't live on the surfaces that long. You can go in there and start manufacturing the gloves and the masks again, so why is China not doing that? You know the answer. I know the answer. And we got to wake up. we got to wake up here. That's a, uh, this is a big wake-up call for us in this. 866-505-4626 here on the Mark Levin Show. Your thoughts, your calls. i got to ask you another question, too. And that is this. How much of your liberty are you willing to give up to the government in order to be safe from a virus? See, me, the answer is zero. I don't want to give up any liberty. What I appreciate about this administration, this president, he's not asking us to. He's asking us to do certain things to keep it from spreading. He's not sending in the troops to keep us in our homes. He's not instituting curfews. He's not threatening people to be put in prison if they go out when they should be self-quarantining. I like that. And guess what we're doing as Americans? We're doing the right thing. We're doing all those things. See, unlike the left, unlike liberals, where the mindset is always, we're bad and government's good and government's got to control us like we're little kids. We know the right thing to do. And if we're asked to do it, we do it for the good of our fellow Americans because we're good people. And that's a fact. Rich Zioli in for the great one. Mark Levin coming right back. Mark Levin. to remind you, Life, Liberty, and Levin this Sunday, 8 p.m. Mark's guest is Michael Pillsbury. They'll be discussing China and the coronavirus. And I'm Rich Zioli from WPHD in Philadelphia, in for the great one tonight. Bob is in Queens, New York. Bob, go ahead, sir. Go ahead, Bob. Yes, go ahead. Yes. Good evening. Um, You can hear me, Goat? You can hear me, right? Yes. Start talking. Go ahead. All right, let's talk. First of all, you mentioned 9-11. You started with that. And let me tell you something. It was the Republican administration who said it was okay to go down to ground zero. There's no problem with the air quality in, in lower Manhattan. Christine Todd Whitman, former governor. And all right, all right. What does that have to do? Stop. Listen, if you don't deal in the current day and age in which we're living in right now, I'm going to hang up on you. Talk about what's going on now. I'll go right now. Please don't hang up. I'll go right now. All right, this man on January 22nd, President Trump said there's absolutely no problem. We have it under control. He goes down to Mar-a-Lago, goes plays golf, and I'll tell you something else. Didn't he say, didn't somebody say that this was an absolute conspiracy to bring down his presidency? Well, let me tell you something. That's a very serious charge. If this is a conspiracy to bring down his presidency, why isn't the FBI investigating it? Why isn't Barr investigating it? Why is the Department of Justice investigating it? I mean, they investigate everything else. Where is the investigation? This is absolute murder. Who told you that, by the way? Who who told you that it was a conspiracy to bring down his presidency? Who told you that? The administration was saying this. There were members when? of the administration who were saying this. There were members of your, of the Republican, uh, I think it was uh, Rush Limbaugh was saying this. It's an administration. Uh-huh. This is a conspiracy to bring down his... So, 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 wait, 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 wait. So the coronavirus is a conspiracy to bring down the president. Is that what your nutty theory is? My theory? No, I never said that. I heard oh. that from the administration. I heard that from people. Oh, did you? You heard the president say oh. that? Because that's funny. He's, he's never said that, but that's in your world, that's what you heard. This is what they said. They said that in China, this was developed in a lab in China, and it was a conspiracy to bring down his administration. By the way, let me ask you a question. How do you know it wasn't made in a lab in China? Well, don't, shouldn't they find this out? Yes, they absolutely should. 
And by the way, China, if they did do it on purpose, they did it as retribution for tariffs. Why would that be so out of the realm of possibility for you? As far as I'm concerned, if this is absolute conspiracy, if they did it, find out who do it. We should find out. We need to do a thorough investigation. Why don't you tell your side to stop whining about what the name of the virus is and be angry at China instead? Why aren't there? Why isn't there a? Why is not there? An because first of all, they're trying to contain this. All right, and make sure it doesn't spread and kill people. And thank you for the phone call. After that's done, we can do investigations and look into it. The president never said the virus was a hoax. He said the hoax was going to be the left and the media saying he wasn't taking it seriously. He wasn't trying to do anything about it. Never said the virus was a hoax. Never. And has never treated it like a hoax either, despite the allegations of the left. 866-505-4626. This is the Mark Levin Show with me, Rich Zioli. Hour number three. Straight ahead. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting them from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. President says we will remove or eliminate every obstacle to defeat the coronavirus. Said that today in the Rose Garden, surrounded by private sector, surrounded by CEOs, Surrounded by some of the best minds in medicine. Welcome back to the show, The Mark Levin Show. The great one is off tonight. Back with you next week. Rich Zioli, I have the honor of filling in tonight. Always love hanging out with you. I'm the morning show host on WPHD in Philadelphia on 12:10 a.m. You can hear that on radio.com. Mark is, of course, on our station as well. The, uh, the issue of, uh, of obstacles and red tape. Can't, can't emphasize enough how much of that was there. It's funny, right? This president has done a lot to get rid of regulations. It's been one of his key points. And whether or not you were with Trump from the beginning or not, I think you'd have to agree, whether you agree with everything he's done or not, that he's been outstanding when it comes to judges and outstanding when it comes to get rid of reg- getting rid of regulations. But it's not until something like this happens that we can wake up and go, what's up with the CDC and the FDA and all their different rules that they have in place? This government is too big. The executive branch in particular is too big. And uh, when, when this happens and we wake up to the fact and we realize that, you know what, you had these, these, these doctors trying to do tests in February and, and the CDC and the FDA kept saying no because of their regulations, that has to stop. And the president acknowledged that today. We have to learn. We're learning from this stuff. We're learning and we're figuring it out as we go. Unfortunately, we did not have as much time as we wanted because even though the president put the travel ban from China in place in January. The first cases of the Wuhan virus were reported back in November. We lost two months time. And in that time, it was it was spreading around the world. Now, this is a very important piece, and I want to share a little bit of this with you. They documented the coronavirus crisis in Wuhan. Then they vanished. This is by Vivian Wang, New York Times, February 14th, 2020. 
The beige van, I'm not going to read the whole piece, but I'm going to read a little bit of this for you. The beige van squatted outside a Wuhan hospital with side and back doors ajar. Fang Bin, a local clothing salesman, peered inside as he walked past. He groaned, so many dead. He counted five, six, seven, eight body bags. This is too many. That moment in a 40-minute video about the coronavirus outbreak that has devastated China propelled Mr. Fang to Internet fame. Then, less than two weeks later, he disappeared. Days earlier, another prominent video blogger in Wuhan, Chen Quishi, I'm probably not saying that right, had also gone missing. Mr. Chen's friends and family said they believed he had been forcibly quarantined. Before their disappearances, Mr. Fang and Mr. Chen had recorded dozens of videos from Wuhan, streaming unfiltered and often heartbreaking images from the center of the outbreak. Long lines outside hospitals, feeble patients, agonized relatives. The footage would have been striking anywhere, but it was especially so coming from inside China, where even mild criticism of the authorities is quickly scrubbed from the online record, and those responsible for it often punished. The appetite for the videos reflects in part the shortage of independent news sources in China, where professional newspapers are tightly controlled by the authorities. Earlier this month, the state propaganda department deployed hundreds of journalists to reshape the narrative. But the videos also reflected the growing call for free speech in China in recent weeks as the coronavirus crisis has prompted criticism and introspection from unexpected corners across the country. The disappearance of the two men also underscores that the ruling Communist Party has no intention of loosening its grip on free speech. China's leader Xi Jinping said last month that officials needed to strengthen the guidance of public opinion. Well, Chinese media... Social media is overflow with fear and grief. State propaganda outlets have emphasized President Xi's steady hand. Frame the fight against the outbreak as a form of patriotism and shared upbeat videos of medical workers dancing. More than 350 people across China have been punished for spreading rumors about the outbreak, according to Chinese human rights defenders and advocacy group. Mr. Chan, a fast-talking, fresh-faced lawyer from eastern China, was already well-known online before the outbreak. He traveled to Hong Kong during the pro-democracy protests last year and disputed the Chinese authorities' depiction of the demonstrators as a riotous mob. The Beijing authorities summoned him back to the mainland and deleted his social media accounts, Mr. Chen told his followers later. But when the coronavirus led officials to seal off Wuhan last month, he raced to the city of 11 million, citing his duty as a self-declared citizen journalist. What sort of journalist are you if you're not the front lines, he said. His last video on February 9th, which is 12 seconds long, it featured a scroll of paper with the words, All Citizens Resist, hand power back to the people. Despite the worldwide audience for Mr. Fang's and Mr. Chen's videos, it is hard to know how much reach they had domestically. Both men relied heavily on YouTube and Twitter, which are blocked in China. You know what's amazing, too? All these uh, companies that do business in China, right, lecture us on don't call it Wuhan virus, don't call it uh, a foreign virus, don't call it the Chinese coronavirus, right? They all do business in this country. Hollywood, all their movies, you know, they, they, they kowtow to whatever the Chinese government wants. The Chinese government wants to censor, they censor. They'll do whatever they have to do to make money, and they go along with it, and it's the biggest scam out there because the minute, like, a state like North Carolina wants to do a bathroom bill, for example, to say... Men's rooms, women's rooms, what does Hollywood do? They go, well, we're not filming movies in North Carolina anymore. We're going to boycott North Carolina. How about China? Do they boycott China? Hell no. They go in there and they kiss China's you-know-what because they're so afraid of losing the Chinese market. And it's why all these movies are being postponed. The movies that are being postponed for release in the United States of America are being postponed because of the Asian markets. That's where they make most of their money now in Hollywood. 
Because a lot of us just don't go to the movies anymore. I do. I love the movies. I hate Hollywood. I hate their politics, but I love the movies. And I refuse to give up one of my all-time great pastimes. Anyway, China's awful. You know, I love Chinese food. I hate the Chinese government. I think the communists who run that country, they're awful. In the videos which drew millions of views on YouTube outside of China, Mr. Chen interviewed locals who had lost loved ones, filmed a woman breaking down as she waited for care, and visited an exhibition center that had been converted into a quarantine center. He was blocked from WeChat, a major Chinese social media app for spreading rumors, but he was adamant that he shared only what he himself had seen or heard. As time went on, Mr. Chen... Usually energetic, began to show strain. I am scared, he said on January 30th. In front of me is the virus. Behind me, China's legal and and administrative power. The authorities had contacted his parents to ask for his whereabouts. He teared up suddenly. Then his finger pointing at the camera, he blurted, I'm not even scared of death. You think I'm scared of you, Communist Party? On February 6th, Mr. Chen's friends lost contact with him. A prominent mixed martial arts practitioner and a friend of his posted a video on February 7th saying that Mr. Chen's parents had been told that their son had been quarantined, though he had not shown symptoms of illness. And uh, as the outbreak escalated, they began sharing videos of Wuhan's empty streets and crowded hospitals. They lacked the slickness of Mr. Chen's dispatches, which were often subtitled and tightly edited. But as with Mr. Chen's videos, they showed a man growing increasingly desperate and defiant. On February 2nd, Mr. Fang described how officials had confiscated his laptop and interrogated him about the footage of the body bags. On February 4th, he filmed a group of people outside his home who said they were there to ask him questions. He turned them away, daring them to break down his door. In the final videos, Mr. Fang turned explicitly political in a way rarely heard inside China, at least in public. Filming from inside his home, he said he was surrounded by plainclothes policemen. He railed against greed for power and tyranny. His last video on February 9th was just 12 seconds long, as I mentioned. Now, let me ask you a question. Why is it wrong to call it the Wuhan virus? Why is it wrong to call it the Chinese virus, Chinese coronavirus? Why? I think the answer, sadly, comes down to the fact that uh, the policies of China, a lot of people on the left would implement here in a heartbeat. Let me ask you a question. Do you think there are certain Democrats, for example, who would love anyone who uh, disputes their global warming ideology to be censored? Probably, right? Yeah. I mean, we know the answer to that, of course. They would love to make it a crime to spread propaganda about global warming, right? Uh, That that climate change is not man-made, for example. They would love for that to be some sort of a, a speech crime, thought crime. They're the ones who are always pushing those ridiculous hate speech laws. You know, if you say something that offends a person who's uh, trans or uh, trans, uh, the, then you're transphobic. If you say something that offends this person or that person, they would love to make that a crime, a speech crime, a hate crime. They would love it. I think the real reason why the left in this country is so afraid to bash China and the, why they want to get this off the subject of China as quickly as possible is because deep down inside, if you do an examination of their policies, they're very similar to Chinese policies in terms of socialism socialized medicine and healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, to achieve that, you have to lose freedom, individual freedom. What else do the Chinese people not have in addition to not having freedom of speech and freedom of the press? Uh, Freedom to have a gun to defend themselves against tyranny, right? How, How many times did the left talk about taking away that too? 
How, how much do you hear the left talk about censoring uh, online social media sites for, for fake news? They want to get rid of fake news. Was it Elizabeth Warren, before she dropped out of the race, who said uh, it should be a crime to put out fake news on social media? I mean, if that's not what China does, because all they have to do is just label whatever they don't like. The government can label whatever it doesn't like as fake news or hate speech, and then there you go, shut people up. Done. Goodbye. What are you going to do? The left in this country has gone so far radical that they embody so much of what the Chinese communist government embodies, and that's the truth. And it's just like how with Bernie Sanders, how he wants to say nice things about Fidel Castro, and he really can't bring himself to say anything bad because the guy had a great reading program. The reality is they love the policies of socialism. And in order to get that here, the American people would have to trade a whole lot of freedom, a whole lot of liberty. And uh, we don't want to do that, you see. And they know that. So they have to force it on us, too. That's the other thing. They have to force a lot of this on us. Do you realize that people like... um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are more angry at the fact that you're not ordering takeout Chinese food than what the Chinese government did to cover up Wuhan and to what it did to its own people. I saw this video of her the other night lecturing people why we're not patroning, patroning, the hell that means, why we're not patroning China, Chinese food and going to Chinese restaurants. So last night, my dad, the hero you heard about earlier, bought us all Chinese food. Because we love Chinese food in my house. We get it all the time. Uh, so as we were patroning Chinese food and eating it, just kept thinking to myself as I'm enjoying my egg roll, I kept thinking to myself, you know what? Could they be angry at China for five minutes? Could they please? Could Hollywood be angry at China? Could these celebrities who are going out there going, stop saying it's, it's the Wuhan virus. That's racist. Could they just be angry at China for what they did to the people of Wuhan, to their own people for five minutes? Is that so much to ask? Is that so hard? for us to wish for? 866-505-4626. Special number tonight on the Mark Levin Show, 866-505-4626. Rich Zioli, in for the great one, coming right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Now, the truth of the matter is that the government has tremendous power over us, as you know. And uh, whenever these, uh, these kind of national emergencies happen, we, we have to always be very, very careful to not uh, cede our liberty to them. Because government would, I mean, they could roll over us tomorrow if they wanted to in cases like this. The, the power 
uh, is is vast and it's 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 unlimited. I mean, it really is. It's it's uh, it's terrifying too when you break it down. Uh, I'm telling you right now, we don't need to be quarantined by the government. We don't need to have the military go door to door. We don't need those things because we do the right thing. Where that's what we do. We do the right thing. As people, we always do the right thing in life. You know, in South Korea, for example, uh, they did a great job of dealing with this, and they're free, and they're free people, and they and they, they dealt with it themselves. They did a great they did a great job, uh, and that's the difference, right? Is that the, the the thinking so often is that government has the answers, and government needs to control us so that we don't go out there and spread the virus to people and start coughing on people and purposely getting them sick. We don't do that stuff. We're good people. But we have to be mindful of these uh, these national emergency declarations, and I've talked about this for a long time, in the sense of when we give the the, the president vast powers. I mean, you, you, you could essentially you know, suspend every right we have from the First Amendment to the Second Amendment and force people in their homes and, and force people to you, – you could take away social media. You could do all those things in a national emergency. We're okay with this president doing it because he's not looking to take away any of those liberties. He's trying to use the national emergency to speed up the bureaucracy of things to get a, a testing kits out there, which is good. But I tell you what, it makes me realize more and more when I think about some of these Democrats running for office. I think to myself, my God, if these people became president, you imagine what they would do in a national emergency. Like, like I mean, if if uh, if Bernie Sanders were president and decided that, that global warming is, is, a, is a national emergency or climate change is a national emergency and, and used a national declaration of an emergency to, I don't know, uh, take over all the coal companies in the country or shut them down or, or federalize all the energy companies so that they could all be under the, you know, the Bernie Energy Company. That could happen under a national emergency declaration. Oh, yes, Congress has given the executive broad, vast, basically unlimited power over us. Somebody asked me the other day on Facebook, they said, Rich, uh, what could the government do? Like, say we didn't want to be quarantined, for example. Like, if they sent the National Guard in and said you couldn't leave or something like that. Uh, you can't do anything because that's the, the powers of the emergency declaration. And so you just have to grin and bear it, I guess. Or one of the other lessons we could learn from this is, you know, these things are going to happen more, not less, in the future. Why don't we make sure that we don't have a president who has just unlimited power over us? Because... We're okay now, but we don't know what the future is going to bring. You know what I mean? And, and their definition of a national emergency is very different from our definition of a national emergency. You know, I, I could see uh, a Democrat getting elected president turning around and going, you know, the gun violence is a national emergency. It's a, it's a public health emergency. I'm declaring a national emergency, and, uh, and I'm suspending the purchase of uh, firearms in this country. Uh, and, in fact, I'm ordering people to turn in their, uh, their AR-15s because we have a national emergency right now. The powers are truly almost unlimited in these circumstances. And so whenever I, I hear presidents turn around and use the declaration, I go, well, they're used a lot. And luckily, they're, 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 they're not abused. And certainly, this one's not being abused. But just a couple things to think about in the future. That's one of them. Making sure that we don't have the same red tape that stops private companies from being able to come up with, uh, with tests for things like this in the future. Making sure that the world remembers what China did here and doesn't forget. These, uh, these are the kind of, kind of lessons we want to write down for the future. Make sure we study them. Make sure we do the right things to not let this happen in the future. Because this will happen again. You know it and I know it. There are a lot of bad actors in the world. And a virus is a perfect weapon, if you think about it, in many different ways. As long as it doesn't kill people too quickly and it spreads and causes economic chaos and calamity, it's a perfect weapon. 
and it spreads on its own without them having to do much. 866-505-4626. I'll give you the details of the emergency declaration on the Mark Levin Show with me, Rich Zioli. So glad you're here. Don't go away. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. You know, the uh, debate Sunday night, yes, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden are going to debate Sunday night, but no audience there. So uh, this is an opportunity for them to actually uh, just yell at each other, which will be kind of fun. It's the new grumpy old men, Bernie versus Joe Biden. I'm looking forward to it. I really am. I hope they don't cancel it. I'm looking forward to it. Those two can. uh, Bernie's got one shot left. I don't know if you saw his uh, his speech the other day. He started talking about the questions he wants to ask his good friend Joe Biden to his good friend Joe Biden. I would ask Joe Biden questions like, um, who is Joe Biden? We'll take uh, me as an answer. Um, you could look around, Joe, and you could, you could point to the only other person on the stage, yourself, for example. You could ask Joe Biden questions like, uh, what day is it? We'll take any day that ends in the word day as an answer. So it could be Sunday or Thursday. That's fine, too. Oh, and of course, that's terrible to question uh, Joe's uh, mental fitness, by the way. That's terrible. Uh, the Mark Levin Show, the great one's off tonight. Rich Zioli in for Mark. Thanks for hanging out with me tonight. 866-505-4626. This is uh, Biden's spokesperson, Kate Bedingfield. She's discussing how, uh, how dare we question Joe's fitness. Now, remember, the media uh, for a long time has gone after Donald Trump as being crazy and uh, in need of the 25th Amendment to the Constitution. But if you bring up Joe Biden, and you question his mental fitness for the job. And by the way, as Democrats were doing in the primary till they all dropped out, till they all decided to back him a week ago. But five minutes ago before that, they were all questioning his mental accuracy. But, you know, now if you do that, it's terrible. Uh, cut 11. Go. Anyone who needs to be tested based on medical guidance should be tested at no Oh, you know what? Charge. I think this is the wrong one. I'm sorry. My bad. That's uh, we changed the. Yes. Uh, cut 16. Thank you. I just want to ask you about the videos that keep coming out, whether it was the one over the weekend where Joe Biden seemed to be struggling uh, to talk about whether or not you should vote for him or vote for Donald Trump's reelection. Bottom line is, you know, the Trump campaign is pushing these videos out there and they're asking a basic question. Is Joe Biden fit to be commander in chief? How do you answer that? You know, I have to say, this is a disgusting smear tactic. And this kind of thing is exactly why people want Joe Biden to be president. This kind of false, you know, misleading, 
basically conspiracy theory that, uh, you know, well, hang a, on. a How desperate... Is it a smear, hang on, a desperate, I'll let you talk, but hang on. How is it a smear tactic to ask you about a video where the vice president, in his own words, struggles to complete a sentence? How is that a smear tactic? Ed, respectfully, how many times have you struggled to complete a sentence I'm sure on it's air? Happened many That's times. ridiculous. Okay, That's, well, of course. Let's roll. Let's roll the tape. That's ridiculous. I'm not I running think for that, you know, this is, Look, if I'm Donald Trump, if I'm Donald Trump, and I saw Joe Biden last night giving the speech that he gave, sounding presidential, looking like a leader. If I'm looking at the turnout that he's generating across the country, I'm scared too, and I'm starting to throw this kind of nonsense against the wall. Well, you know, the answer actually should be, sure, ask. Joe Biden's ready for the job. He's mentally fit. Go ahead. Bring it up. But you can't do that now, you understand. That's a terrible thing to do. I, just a quick question. Why can't we know if our commander-in-chief is, uh, is losing it or not? Like, Why is that such a terrible thing to find out? I'd like to know. They kept saying Trump was crazy. Can't I find out if Joe Biden is uh, playing with a full deck? Can I maybe they could do a test or some sort? Is a clock draw a clock or something? Why why is that bad? They would do it for a lot of other things, but not for the presidency. And Democrats were questioning his mental fitness. I'm telling you, one hour before they all decided they were all backing him suddenly. Whatever changed with that too is very interesting, is it not? Yes, very interesting indeed. So I can't wait for Sunday. I can't wait for Bernie's just going to yell at Joe Biden the entire time. He's going to yell at him. And there'll be no audience there, so Bernie's just going to, I think, get, go progressively louder throughout the night. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And since you'll be home, self-isolating, you might as well watch. What else are you going to do? Or don't watch because you don't want to be any more frustrated with your life and watch Chernobyl instead. It's really good. Uh, Braith in Wilmington, North Carolina on the Mark Levin Show. How are you, sir? Hello. Hello. Go ahead, sir. You're on the air. Okay, this is Braith. Uh... My question is, why am I not hearing anything about what's going on in Russia as far as the virus is concerned? And Panama, which I'm a 82nd Airborne uh, veteran, I've been to Panama, the Panama Canal, which is nasty. Uh, I'm wondering why we're not hearing anything from Mexico, Canada, uh, and, you know, and Russia. Well, Canada, you got the prime minister's wife, who's apparently tested positive for the coronavirus, and Mexico has put in travel restrictions. And Russia, by the way, is putting travel restrictions to the European Union, so nobody in or out from the European Union to Russia. So they don't want it to spread there. Yeah, but the problem is we're not hearing how many cases they have. Okay, I, I don't, I mean, wh wh but what's the bigger point you're trying to make? Well, the bigger point is I'm not running out to buy toilet paper. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, in 1918, the, the Great Plague killed 50 to 100 million people. They don't even know how many people it really killed. And, I mean, it's, I think that it's being publicized uh, by the media uh, to a great extent to scare the public. Well, you're not going to be able to find toilet paper, so you don't have to worry about it, because apparently it's all gone. Which is why I'm never shaking hands ever again, by the way, because there's no toilet paper. So, you know, you figure it out. Yeah, well, you're right, uh, but you can always use magnolia leaves. They're nice and wide and, yeah. You know, well, that's a helpful tip. I appreciate that very much. No, look, uh, obviously this is being exaggerated, but I think the bigger point is there are people stocking up in case they had to be 
uh, self-quarantined for 14 days and couldn't leave the house. They want to make sure they have a supply of food. Like, I have kids, so I'm making sure we've got enough stuff. If we If we had to stay, if there was a reason for us to stay in the house, I wouldn't have to go to the store. Here's another thing, too. I bought a lot of stuff, so I don't have to go to the store in the middle of all this because I don't want to deal with large crowds. I hate waiting on lines. I hate it. Right. You know? Right. Well, you know, back in World War II, you know, things were rationalized. As a matter of fact, if you go to a Harris Teeter, which is uh, a big supermarket here in North Carolina, you know, sometimes they have sales. You know, you buy one, get one free, but that's it. The limit of the order is one. So, you know, instead of people being able to go in and buy, you know, all of the toilet paper, it's going to be rational. Nah, you don't have to ration it. You just let the market adjust for it. You raise the price of toilet paper. If you could do that, that'd be fine. But then people yell price gouging, so you can't do that. So then you got to put limits on things. And all the limits does, by the way, is make people want to buy more of it. If I tell you you can only buy two cans of chicken noodle soup, what's the first thing you're going to do? Go buy two cans of chicken noodle soup. Yeah, and then go to the next store and buy two cans of chicken noodle soup. And then go to the next store. You're going to start stocking up on it because you're going to think there's no more chicken noodle soup coming. These things become self-fulfilling prophecies. Hey, Brad, thank you for the call, sir, and your service to the country. Uh, appreciate it, my friend. Thanks very much for calling the Mark Levin Show. I mean, these stores are amazing, right? You know, limit five cases of water. So everybody buys five cases of water, and there's no water left. Now, the limit thing is, uh, is a, it's a, that's a big scam going. If you just let the marketplace figure it out and go, all these people want toilet paper. Well, then raise the price of toilet paper. So we make sure we have an adequate supply. You raise the price according to demand, but then what happens? The government goes, you're price gouging, and then they come after you. So you, can, you can't price gouge a toilet paper. You can price gouge on things like a car, for example. And you can raise the price of a car by $25,000 if a lot of people like it. I digress. Uh, John is in Las Vegas uh, here on the Mark Levin Show. John, go ahead, sir. You're on the air. Well, great to talk to you. Thanks for your show. Uh, you know, it, in the last week we've had uh, Biden refer to Trump multiple times as a racist. But, you know, you were bringing up before Chernobyl. Uh, a more direct comparison is just look at the names like Ebola or Zika virus. The Ebola virus was named after the river in Africa where it was first uh, discovered in humans. Right. The Zika virus was named after a forest in Africa where the virus was first uh, discovered there. Uh, you know, so are we going to go and say that uh, the media, which uses those terms uh, Ebola and Zika all the time, are racist against blacks because, uh, I mean, the New York Times and everybody else calls it by those names? Well, this is a way to cover up for China, as you know, and uh, it's uh, pathetic what they're doing with this. And that's why we got to keep calling it the Chinese coronavirus or the Wuhan virus, because it's important for people to know the history of what happened there so that we can make sure the world understands what China did. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people... Go ahead. It's such such a double standard because for all these other viruses, those media outlets name them after those local areas, even if they're from Africa. But why are they doing it with this one? Well, they're doing it because it's Trump and they want to attack him on race, just like they went after No, but it's about covering for China. Well, it's more than that because I think... I mean, it may be partly that, but you look at everything like from Charlottesville where they lied about what Trump said with regard to, uh, you know, people on both sides, uh, where you clearly... uh, Well, there's no doubt they want to paint the president as racist. No doubt about that, John. But I think they also want to cover up for China because China has a lot of the policies these Democrats agree with. And if you start getting it out to the world of how oppressive China is, especially in something like this, that's really problematic for them. 
Well, China is surely doing their best to show that uh, Trump was right when they talk about withholding uh, medicines and other things that they're producing. And Biden, earlier in the campaign multiple times, has tried to protect China by saying that, uh, you know, uh, he thinks that uh, Trump has painted them as bad guys, and they're really not. Thanks for the call, John. Appreciate it. To the Mark Levin Show, 866-505-4626, our special number today. Johnny is in Portland, Maine. Johnny, how are you doing? Hello? Yes, sir, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I am uh, fighting mad because I went to the hospital today to my emergency room to get, uh, uh, you know, the test for the, for the coronavirus, and they wouldn't give it to me. Now, I'm a high-risk population, 67 years old. I've been ill with pneumonia for the past two and a half weeks, and I just couldn't believe that I could not get a test for the virus. What did they say at the emergency room? You don't meet the criteria. I said, well, hold on a minute. Let's talk about this. What, what are the criteria? Well, uh, have you been in contact with anybody outside the United States? No, not that I know of, but how do I know that I haven't been in contact with somebody that's been outside the United States unknowingly been in contact with them? Is that the only thing they asked you? Did they take your temperature? They did not take my temperature. They took a chest x-ray. All right, have you thought about going to another hospital? I don't, I don't know the uh, specifics of the hospital you went to, Johnny, so I can't really say. It's just maybe it's not a good hospital. I, I don't know. I just I don't know enough about it. But I hope you get better. I hope you stay uh, stay healthy, my friend. Thank you for the call to the Mark Levin Show. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I can't know the specifics of your of your individual specific case, but uh, hope things are okay. Danny is in uh, Sheridan, Arkansas. Danny, you're on the Mark Levin Show. Go ahead, Danny. You're on the air. Hey, Danny. Hey, Rich, man. Glad to talk to you. First time caller. Thank you, sir. I hear what's going on, but the thing about it is, that gets me is the the demo, the Democrats, in my opinion, are trying to make this a political aspect for their benefit, and I don't understand why they can't get on board with the Trump administration making it a national thing, but they want to try and make it something for their benefit. Why is that? Because politics are always uh, about uh, trying to win something. And for Democrats, they never let an opportunity go to what crisis go to waste, right? So if they have the opportunity now to get through sick leave pay, which is something they've been looking for forever, this is their time they're going to do it. And they're going to put it in the bill because everybody has to vote yes for the, uh, for the great emergency crisis bill. They do this all the time with these big bills. Well, it's not a bill. It's a crisis for the American people. We fought for this freedom, and American freedom is not free. Did they not get it? Well said. Thank you, sir, for the call. I appreciate it, Danny. Thanks for the Mark Levin Show. Uh, By the way, Life, Liberty, and Levin, this Sunday night, 8 p.m., Mark's guest is Michael Pillsbury on China and coronavirus. And you could also visit, of course, MarkLevinShow.com. You could tweet me on Twitter at Rich Zioli, or if you're on Facebook, it's Facebook.com slash Zioli Show, Z-E-O-L-I Show, if you're uh, not Italian. That's how you spell Zioli. You know, the uh, every time this happens, too, they have these big bills, these big disaster relief bills, and you have a couple of conservatives vote against them. 
And then the media always paints him out to be like the worst people on earth. And you always ask him, so why, like, why did you vote no against this? Like Senator Mike Lee, for example. Why'd you vote no? I'll say, because they loaded it up with a bunch of crap that doesn't belong in the bill. And this happens a lot. They do this all the time. And they're trying to do it again here. Apparently a deal has been reached. I don't have the specifics of the deal, but apparently a deal has been reached to provide increased unemployment benefits and uh, uh, paid sick leave as well. But again, I don't know if the Democrats were able to put in there a provision where the paid sick leave never expires and so anybody can get it for anything, even outside of the coronavirus. I don't know. That's one of the things that Pelosi was trying to get through in the dark of night, which is her favorite time, by the way, the dark of night. All right, on the Mark Levin Show with me, Rich Zioli. We're coming right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. I actually loaded up on wine. That's I stockpiled wine is what I did. That's what I did because it was important for me to buy. I mean, if I'm going to be quarantined for 14 days, I'm uh, I'm drinking wine. I'm going to have to because it's good for my heart. And also uh, alcohol fights germs. If you can't get hand sanitizer, you might as well use uh, like whiskey or something like that. I'm just trying to give you tips, valuable tips. Don't yell at me. I'm just trying to help. Be a friend in need. Uh, speaking of, uh, uh, boozing it up, uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, got very tongue-tied during her, uh, coronavirus press conference. Uh, cut number six. Let me just get back to testing, testing, testing. So very important to take inventory, to understand the epidemiological spread of the virus. <laughs> and also to, um, uh, to meet the needs of the people affected. That's the uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives right there. Try to find the epidemiological... Yes, I feel very, very, so glad she's there. How about you? I feel really in good hands right there. You know, I uh, I think about these things, too, from the perspective of uh, this toilet paper rush that's going on in our time right now, this great toilet paper time as we all self-isolate and uh, suck up on toilet paper. I'm not kidding about the bidet idea. You know, that's what a presidential candidate should propose, a free bidet for every American household. You get one, not all of them, just one per household. Why go one bidet limit? But then the water, you know, it's what I think the French do it maybe. or uh, They don't have to worry about stocking up on toilet paper during these crises. We need bold ideas and a free bidet 
is uh, what we're talking about here. Of course, the Democrats are so full of you know what that uh, I don't think a bidet can really help them with that. But uh, we'll see a lot of uh, things that should be flushed Sunday night when Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Bernie's got to go for the jugular against Joe. It's his last chance. He's got to yell at him as much as possible. He's got to call him crazy Uncle Joe. Otherwise, Bernie's toast. He's got to he's got to just go go for it Sunday. It's his last shot. We'll see if he does. Uh, thanks for hanging out with me tonight on the Mark Levin Show. It's been so much fun to hang out with you. Remember to check out Life, Liberty, and Levin Sunday night. I'm on Twitter at Rich Zioli or Facebook.com slash Zioli Show. You can catch me Monday morning, 530 tonight on WPHD in Philadelphia. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Don't shake any hands because of the toilet paper shortage. Make sure you wash your hands. And uh, God bless. Have a great weekend. We'll see you soon. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.